So I've titled today's message, Daniel Takes a Stand. Uh, you know, when we follow the Lord, it, that's what it takes. It takes you and me taking a stand. Uh, standing up for what we believe. Uh, not bending, uh, but uh, standing tall. That's, uh, that's the message of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Jehoiakim was the 17th king of Judah. Right before the nation of Israel's history was going to wrap up for an awful long time, uh, he was right at the end of it. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar was the up-and-coming world dictator at that time. And he just decided that he'd like to take Jerusalem to be a part of his kingdom too. Verse number 2 gives us, uh, I think, an interesting insight. It says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. I've underlined the Lord gave because uh, whenever you and I look at the nations of the world, uh, we, uh, we look at it as, uh, as things that are out of control. But here the Bible says God had a big hand in this whole thing. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar. Now, Shinar is the ancient name of Babylon to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Uh, the word children here means youths, young people, teenagers young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking. They had to pass a beauty contest. Good-looking, gifted in all wisdom. They had to pass an intellectual contest. Uh, they had to be gifted in wisdom, possessed knowledge, and quick to understand, bright. They had ability to serve in the king's palace in whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. They were going to train these servants taken from Jerusalem uh, to be people that served in their, in their government. And the king appointed for them a daily portion of the king's delicacies, of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end they, that, of that time they might serve before the king. He had a special three-year training program. And he felt that if he could take these people that he was exporting, uh, actually hostages from Jerusalem, and he could put them through his three-year training program that they would make loyal workers in his government. Verse 6. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Now for those of you who have been in church for many years, you never learned those names. You always learned Daniel, Shadrach, what? Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these are the Hebrew names right here. Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. They changed their name. Daniel, he called him Belshazzar. Hananiah, Shadrach. That's the name we're familiar with. Michelle, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Now, I've uh, underlined this verse in my Bible because I think it's the most important one in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. Daniel made a decision as a young man that changed his course for the rest of his life. He stood tall. He stood his ground. 
He said, listen, I'm not changing. You're not changing me. Uh, that's just the way it's going to be from here on out. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself uh, with the portion of the king's delicacies. Now, what does that mean? He said, I'm not eating the things you're putting in front of me or I'm not drinking the, th the drink you're putting in front of me because these things have been dedicated to idols. And uh, I'm not allowed to eat and to drink of things that were dedicated to idols because I don't believe in idols. I believe in God. Uh, therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, he made this request. He said, listen, I don't want to do that. That's against my religion. That's against my conviction. Uh, and so what God did is God began to work on the people who were in charge of making this decree, and he changed their heart. This is the way God does it sometimes. God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. The king is saying, I have a very precarious job, and if I don't do my job right, I lose my life. And so it's my job to make you look as good as you can. And I feel that if you eat our food, it will make you look better than what you're proposing. Verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Daniel says, give me a 10-day test. And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, does that appeal to you? How many people here are vegetable people? Would you raise your hand? You like vegetables. Broccoli, all that's good stuff. Yeah, a lot of you. Man, I'm proud of you. Uh, she said, listen, you give me a test. You just give me vegetables and water. And after 10 days, I want you to, uh, you know, see how I fare. And let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies and see... And as you see fit, so deal with your servant. And so they gave them 10 days. And uh, look down at verse 15. After 10 days, the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Well, uh, vegetables did it again. Uh, they're looking good here after 10 days. Um, and so he says, okay, you're looking so good after 10 days, I I'm going to let you go with your plan. You don't have to eat what we put in front of you. Now, in addition, now this was so neat. They made this commitment. Listen, we're standing tall. Uh, we're going to, God says, listen, I'm going to give you a bonus because you stood up for me. Verse 17 says, God gave knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, this is big right here. Because Daniel in the Bible is a prophet. And he gave lots of prophecies concerning the future, some of which are still uh, not fulfilled. And so, because you took a stand, I'm going to give you a bonus. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you knowledge. Verse 18, at the end of the days, when the king said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in. And look what else happened in verse 20. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the other people, the magician, magicians and astrologers. They were ten times better. Daniel took a stand. Wow. Uh, the book of Daniel is the book of uh, Revelation of the Old Testament. You like Revelation in the New Testament? Daniel is its counterpart in the Old Testament. Uh, you might want to write the, word, the, the number 606. 
right above chapter 1 there because that's the date, 606 B.C. Uh, then all of this began to happen. God began to remove the nation of Israel from its glory. And God began to, depl- to displace the nation of Israel with the Babylonian kingdom. Uh, this dictator from the east. And here the Bible says in verse number 2, where in chapter 1, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. You know, God is responsible for a lot that happens in our world today. You know, you and I look at the world and, you know, we're about to pull our hair out and we think, my goodness, what's going on there? Is there not a sane spot on this planet? Well, I think people have always looked at the world in that light. But here we, in verse number two, catch God in the act of changing nations. Jehoiakim uh, was the 17th king, as I mentioned before. He was winding up the history of Israel. Uh, and uh, God was changing, uh, changing thrones right here. Not that he wanted to, but he had to. Because God lays down his word, and whenever God lays down his word, that's it. God's first desire is always repentance, not judgment. I love Second Peter 3.18. I love it with my heart. Uh, the Bible says that God is not slack concerning his promise to return, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. God doesn't want to punish anybody. He wants everybody to repent and come to him in faith. That's, that's his desire. Uh, you know, there are always plenty, though, of dictators in our world that want to extend their kingdom. Japan tried that at Pearl Harbor in America. Hitler tried it in Europe. Uh, and we see here in the first part of, of uh, Daniel chapter 1 the movement of nations. Uh, this, na- this book is about nations. It's about God moving people around uh, almost as a chess player, putting one king here, one king there, one king there, uh, fulfilling his word. Uh, I love uh, Proverbs 21.1. Let's read this together. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. I I wish you'd memorize that. I have. Because that helps me when I look at the news every day on the, the Drudge Report, Newsmax, Fox News, the real news. When I look at that every day, and I tell you, it makes your heart, you, you think, dear Lord, is there hope for this world at all? Well, the Bible says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Uh, Daniel 2.21 is a similar verse. Let's read this together. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Boy, we're just seeing that right here in the verse. God gives wisdom to whom he wants to give wisdom. He changes the seasons. Thank God he finally changed ours. Amen. Wow. He changes the seasons. And uh, then he raises up kings and he puts down kings. And that's what we're looking at right here. It really is. Uh, God moving the nations. Isn't that comforting for you today to know that? Wow. You know, I want to save the nations. I'm tired. I can't do it. Uh, God's in charge. Uh, He refers, though, to what's happening here in chapter 1. In Luke chapter 21, verse 24, he calls it the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. Let's read this. And he changes 
Let's go back to the verse, please. No, forward. We'll get, we'll get it. Is there a verse coming up? Right, thanks, Cindy. Let's read this. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You know, when we look at Jerusalem and Israel, we ask ourselves all the time, why do they have so much trouble? Why does everybody in the world hate them? Well, a lot of it began right here in Daniel chapter 1, 606. The Gentile nations came up and Jesus said it's the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. But it's not going to be finished until a certain time. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar was just the first to come against Israel. There were the Medes and the Persians, there were the Greeks, there were the Romans. And today, that little spot on the map is surrounded by people that just want to push them into the sea and literally extinguish the whole country. Uh, it's going to be that way until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When is that? That's when Jesus Christ comes back again to rescue the nation of Israel. Read about it in the Bible. Revelation 1, 7 says, Every eye shall see him. Those who pierced him will mourn when he comes. But Jesus will come to rescue the nation of Israel. Israel right now is wondering whether America has reneged on its promise to rescue them. Uh, I'll tell you what, there is one who has not reneged. Well, that's an old word, isn't it? Uh, and that's the Lord. God's coming back uh, to rescue the nation of Israel. The times of the Gentiles were dominated, uh, have been dominated all this time. Whenever the nation of Israel was going into the Holy Land, God set down the law. And this is what he said. I read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He said, that, he said if you go into the, to the Holy Land, the land I'm giving you, and you serve me, I'm going to bless you. And the blessings are phenomenal because God, I believe God wants to bless his people. When you serve God, he blesses you. That's just, that's just all there is to it. When we obey the Lord, he blesses us. But when we disobey the Lord... He doesn't bless us. He, in fact, he told the nation of Israel, if you disobey me, I'll curse you. I'll make life tough for you. Let me read a few verses like that in the Bible to you. Deuteronomy 28, 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect, listen to this, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. Doesn't that sound like what's even happening today? Euthanasia. Let's pull the plug on the old people when their life is not uh, as uh, legitimate as we think it should be. Let's pull the plug on our little unborn babies in abortion. Well, that's, all of that's been around for a long time, and God said, listen, I'll let those kind of people take over if you don't serve me. Wow. Uh, this sounds like Glenn Beck, doesn't it? John Hannity. Well, you know, they're coming at it from the political, uh, political realm, and that's good because, uh, and, and we're coming at it uh, from the religious aspect because that all fits together. You know, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Uh, you know, we could almost bring this subject every, up every Sunday, but we don't want to. We don't want to belabor the fact, you hear it all the time on the radio, all the stuff that's going on in our country. Uh, what, was, uh, what was happening here with Daniel? 
He was deported from the country he loved because the country he loved turned its back on God. But he had to take a stand. Where did he get the ability and the strength to take a stand in the midst of this other culture that didn't believe in Jehovah God? Well, I call that the assimilation of God's people. The world is always trying to assimilate you, always trying to make you like them, always trying to make us think like they think and do what they do. And so Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. I'm just going to put you in my three-year school. You're going to come out there a loyal Babylonian. You're going to forget your heritage. I believe the reason why Daniel didn't do that is because he had a spiritual foundation even as a teenager. Uh, His parents, I believe, were devoted to God. And this is the reason why I believe that. Whenever we have these names in the Bible, Daniel, uh, they meant something. These parents named their kids names that had spiritual meaning. Uh, Daniel means God is my judge. Hey, that's a good thing to remember, isn't it? The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the what? The judgment. It doesn't make much difference whether people judge us in this life. The, the, the great judge is the Lord. We all have to stand before him. Uh, Daniel's parents said, listen, I'm going to name you Daniel, and I want you to remember that God is your judge. Uh, they changed his name to Belshazzar. You know what that means? Bel, protect his life. That's another god, the god of Babylonia. The next was the name Hananiah, the Lord show grace. Hey, that's a nice name. The Lord is graceful. He gives us favor. Uh, They changed that to Shadrach under the command of Akka. That's another Babylonian god. Michelle, what's his name mean? Who is like God. They changed his name to Meshach, who is like Akka, their god. And then there was Azariah, the Lord helps. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Doesn't the Lord help us? Amen. He does. Uh, And so they changed his name to Abednego, and that means the servant of Nebo. What they were trying to do was to take away their religious heritage, their loyalty. Somebody influenced them for righteousness, and they thought, you know, if we take those names away and we start calling them by some other name, uh, it's going to assimilate them into our way of thinking. Uh, And they knew that the, the source of resistance that they had to break down was their spiritual resistance. Because there's nothing as powerful as being spiritually powerful. There's nothing as powerful as that. You know, the world can take everything away from you that you have, but they can't take what you have in your heart away. Amen? That's the most powerful thing. And so the parents were devoted to God. Daniel, I believe, was born in the middle of King Josiah's reign. He was the 16th king of Judah. And he, was, he started his reign as a little kid, really. But when he grew to a certain age, he went on a spiritual campaign of tearing down false idols. He said, listen, we're going to clean this country up. Wouldn't it be great if we had a leader like that? He says, we're going to clean this country up. I think it would take him too long to clean up, wouldn't it? Second Chronicles 34.3 34, says, In the eighth year of his reign, when he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. This is the king. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the false worship centers. And so here it is. You know, leaders do have an impact on righteousness in any world. When we have a righteous leader, somebody that stands up and says, Listen, I believe this. We're going to do this. People start thinking, you know... I want to be like him. I, I, I admire his courage. 
But when leaders stand up and say, listen, we don't really care how it is. Uh, we're just, you just do your thing. We'll do our thing. You just let us, leave us alone. Uh, everything slips. Everything goes down. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Um, he also probably heard Jeremiah the prophet. And I'll tell you what, if you've, never heard, if you've ever heard Jeremiah the prophet, you could never be the same. You read Jeremiah. I did Jeremiah 25, 26, 27, and 28 just yesterday. Man, I'll tell you what, he was one machine. He really was. Uh, he was preaching. They threw him in jail. He said, listen, this don't bother me. He says, I'm saying what God wants me to say. And so all of these things had impact on little Daniel's life and his buddy's life. Um, uh, you might say, well, this sounds an awful lot like what's going on in America now. Does it to you? Sure it does. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 says this. Here it is. Let's read it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now look, let's put Daniel's name right there. I think Daniel, somebody really cared for him as a kid. And a lot of times we think, well, the kids really aren't getting it, but you know what? I think they are. They really get it. Uh, we have uh, 100 kids up here in Awana on Wednesday night. Little, you know, they were little kids. And they're coming in here with their books. They're memorizing scripture. I'll tell you what, they know more scripture than we do. Uh, their parents are beating them on the head. Did you learn your scripture? Oh, Mom, give me a break. Uh, the, and uh, their little heart is being infiltrated, implanted with God's word that they're going to remember the rest of their life. Uh, they're going to get in a bind one day and say, hey, you know, down there in that church in Awana, approved workmen are not ashamed. I learned that verse. Listen, I think that thing really has some merit right now. Uh, train up a child in the way he should go. That's a principle. And what that simply means is, is that's the responsibility of the parent. A, a parent can't make a kid do anything. Do you know that? And all the kids said amen. All the parents said amen. I used to think I could make my kids do things. They said, listen, we just fooled you. You weren't making us do anything. That was true. And so parents can't make kids do, do much. But parents can do their part, and that's their part right there. Train up a child in the way you should go. Uh, every kid can rebel. Every kid has a, a, has a free will of their own, and they can do what they, what they want to with their life. But I'll tell you what, I want to know that I've done what I should do with my life. And I know it would break my heart if my kids departed from the Lord. It really would. But it would break my heart more if I knew I didn't do this. Train up a child. In the way. Give them a chance. That's what that verse means. There's other verses I wish you'd become familiar with. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way by giving heed according to the word of God? Verse number 11 says... Um, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let's read that one. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what we're doing up here at this church. When these kids come up here, we're saying, hey, listen, now this is God's word. We're putting it in your heart. Uh, it's going to help you not to sin against God. Uh, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Uh, but, you know, it's not the responsibility of the church to train your kid. It's your responsibility. Uh, we're, we're only supplemental. We're like a little vitamin, you know. We're, we're going to like support mom and dad, but the big responsibility is on the parent. 
Uh, where's that in the Bible? Deuteronomy 6, 4. These words which I've given you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's your job. Uh, when, you, when you go home from church, I, listen, let's sit, down your, let's sit your kids down and let's talk to, to those kids about God. And then when they come to church, we'll, we'll help you a little bit. But the main thrust is yours, not ours. Second Peter, Second Timothy, chapter one, verse five. Uh, this is good. Um, let's read it. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. This is Paul to Timothy. He says, "I know you have real faith, but you got it from your mother, and she got it from her mother." That's how faith is passed down from one generation to another generation. And, and I just want to know, I just want to feel that this generation has done the right thing. That's the only generation over which I have control. And that's the only generation that you have control of. Um, our commitment is to put steel in the lives of our kids. So that when our kids go to school and come home and say, hey, listen, you know what they're trying to teach us, Dad, at school? We can say, hey, yeah, you know that's not right. You know, I, I didn't teach you that. Uh, just let that go over your head. You, we have to teach them what's right in our home. That's the, that's the safe place. The world is putting pressure on us from every angle to become like them. Romans 12.2 says this. Be not conformed. Let's read it. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. The world says, hey, listen, you think like us. You do what we do. Listen, we stand up and say, listen, we're not going with that program. We, are, we will not go with your program. We're gonna, we want to do what God says for us to do in the Bible. That's our program. And the way that we change our mind about these things is, is because when we read the word, God changes our mind and we see, listen, the world is saying wrong is right and right is wrong. And most of the world is saying, hey, they're really right. Right is wrong and wrong is right. But when you read the Bible, you learn what right is and what wrong is, don't you? And so he says, listen, don't be conformed. 1 John 2.15 says, says this, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world, for everyone who loves the world uh, is not of God. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is, of, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he that does the will of God re remains forever. I want to encourage you today to take a stand now uh, because your future depends on it. Uh, you know, it's so easy for us to come to church and you for, to sit here every week and say, Pastor, I think you're really right. And, and, you know, I think it's easy for me to fall into that trap too, you know, for us to come and give head knowledge and say, oh, that's so right. And then go out into the world and forget what we heard in church. Well, the way not to do that is to take your Bible and don't just take my word for it. Please don't do that. It's to take your Bible and you meet with God on a daily basis and open your Bible and see what God has to say to you. And if God confirms to you what I've said, then that's a good thing. Uh, and so we all have to have some tools.
You know, so much of the Bible is showing us how to live in a world we have little or no control over. You know, I wish I could control the world. <laughs> I'm a controller at heart. <laughs> I really am. And the church said amen. Uh, I, you know, I wish I could control the world. I, I, I would do it. I really would. <laughs> I've been trying, and it's, I can't do it. It's bigger than me. I told you a few weeks ago, I, I uh, attended the funeral of my sister's husband, uh, Larry Loney. It was the hardest thing in my life to do. I've never done anything that hard. Uh, and I got to meet Larry's brother and his wife from Canada. And uh, Rich, you stayed, you, you're, you're very familiar with Canada. You used to work up there. And I, we're talking, you know, and if you talk to me, we get to talk about politics. We get to talk about uh, all the important issues, things like that. And I was talking. I said, is, it, is, uh, is Canada more messed up than America? And I didn't really know the answer. And, and he said, oh, yeah, it's a whole lot more messed up. And I thought to myself, it is? It could be? He said, it's a whole lot more messed up. He says, we only have one talk radio station. It's a new guy in Toronto. He's getting a lot of press, man, and people are really liking what he's saying. It's the first guy that's come out uh, to talk about political correctness and socialism and all this stuff that's tearing our country apart. Uh, he's standing up. He has courage. And I found out a little bit later that we have, like in America, 2,000 talk radio stations. I, I felt sorry for the guy in Canada. I was feeling sorry for me in our country. I'm a poor loser. I really am. I haven't gotten over it yet. Uh, I'm a poor loser because I care about America. I care about the future of our kids. I care about the Christian heritage upon which America was founded. And, uh, and so when they said that Canada was worse than America, I felt so bad for this guy. And his wife, she was such a wonderful soul. She came right in the middle of our conversation. Because, you know, I want to save America and Canada all at the same time. That's me. And she came right in the middle of the conversation. She know, you know what she said? She said, we are the light of the world. Wow. Boy, that took a big burden off me. Because I wanted to save America. And that's been so hard. And then I wanted to save Canada. And that was going to be harder. But she said, listen, we're the light of the world. And you know what I thought when I was reading Daniel? Daniel was behind enemy lines. And he was the light of the world. Alone. One light. That's what we are. It would be great if we could save our country. But I'll tell you what, God's given us a plan. And the plan is just simply for me and you to be the light of the world. Uh, if I could do that, I'm sure at the end of life it would be worth it. Uh, and so what we have to do is we have to take a stand and not get discouraged. Some of our people are discouraged in our church. They really are about our country. They're really discouraged. But, you know, we can't become overcome with discouragement. Uh, we have to look to God and realize, listen, if it gets worse, it gets worse. But that's not going to change our heart. We're going to still be the light of the world. Amen? And we're going to be the light, the light to the people that we work for. And we're going to be the light to our community that we need to be. And we're going to shine in this world as dark as it gets.
That's what Daniel did. And you know what Dan, God, Daniel had a wonderful ministry in the government, if you could believe it, in the government for 70 years because he took a stand for what was right. Let's do that. Let's stand up for what's right. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder what God is talking to you about today. Maybe you've been kind of waffling, you know, you're, uh, you're wondering whether you should really stand up for God. Well, I hope I've given you a little inspiration today. It pays to stand up for God, it really does, because one of these days your kids are going to come and put their arm around, around you and say, Dad, all my friends told me that right was wrong, wrong was right. But you, you were right. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. And, and I'm going to live that way now. You might say, well, I can't see that in my kids right now. Well, don't lose faith. If you do what's right, leave the result to God. And chances are, one of, your, one of these days in a serious moment, your boy or your girl is going to say, Dad, I thank you for going against the tide, for swimming uphill, for going against the grain. Let's make that commitment. Let's stand up for Christ. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day which you've given to us. We pray now that you'll move among us. In our church today, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to make decisions that are right for you. If there are any in our church today that would like to come and join our church, I pray that you'll move on their heart today. They, they have a membership some, some other place, and, but now they're here, and I pray, Lord, they'll come and unite with us, be a part of this fellowship. If there are some in our church that need to come and pray about some things that are going on in their life or the life of a friend, I pray they'll come today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song.